0: Thanks for joining us today. We would love to hear how God is using this ministry in equipping you to connect, grow, serve and go in the fullness of Christ. Please take a minute and email us your story at info@sixtonfirst.org. To learn more about this message and others, visit our website at sixtonfirst.org. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hope. It's a great word, isn't it? So word that we need in our world today. I hope that you are giving hope to those that are around you. I want to highlight a couple of announcements, though, um, because I'm uh, I'm deeply involved with them, and that is uh, some confusion has come up with this focus conference that's coming up uh, this Saturday. What is it? Who's it for? And all that. This is a Jim Calvin thing. About um, two or three years ago, he started doing district CE um, conferences, and he would do them in Springfield, and and, and he noticed that the attendance of the people in the southeast wasn't there or the or St. Louis area wasn't there. And then they tried one in, in the Kansas City area. Then he realized the people from the Springfield area in the southeast didn't go to that one. So this year he's trying something new. And I'm kind of new into a position, and I kind of came into it. Um, I'm the CE rep for the CAPE section, um, just of recent. And, and the, this focus conference, Jim wanted to have it here at Sykeston as a, because of, this is his home church, he considers And so this coming Saturday, I need all hands on deck to help uh, with uh, lunch that will be served um, for the folks that are coming from the Cape section, the Van Buren section, and the Kennett section. And uh, it's a teaching training time for anybody that's involved with children's ministry or student ministry or you just want to deep, be deeper involved in, in your local church in a way. So come and, uh, and, and, and just come and be a support of that next Saturday if you have time. And then the other announcement I want to make is next Sunday, a friend of mine is going to be in our pulpit. He's not a missionary. He's not necessarily an evangelist. He's just a godly, godly man that works in the prophetic and, and the couple's name is Mark and uh, Andy uh, Labershain. And they are from South Africa. That's their home. That's where they live. And they're in the United States for this season. And he's going to be coming uh, next Sunday morning and Sunday night. They're in the area. I didn't want you to miss out on that opportunity of have, of hearing them. He speaks in the prophetic. And he's a very gentle man of holiness and of Jesus. And I would recommend calling someone and saying, You've got to come. Um, next Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night with uh, Mark and Andy Labrecque. It's funny. Uh, Mark is a coffee drinker, and he's got this very strong South African accent, a British type accent. And he went to Starbucks, and how many's ever been to Starbucks? And they'll ask you your name, and they write your name on the cup. And they said, "What is your name?" And he said, "My name, you know." And we'd say is Mark, but he, it sent more, sounds more like mock. And uh, so on the cup, they write M O K. And uh, I thought it was kind of funny. And so Mock will be with us next week. And uh, so you you will not want to miss. I know that today is a crazy day and um, the weather's nuts. And but God is still good. Amen. I heard this joke the other day that I got to share with you. Um, A man who'd been working out at the gym he had come into this place he's working out and it was time to to go to work and and he did the early morning and he goes into the locker room and there's several other men in the locker room are changing clothes and also getting ready for work and on the on the on the bench is just full of 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 duffel bags and cell phones and glasses and bottles of water and it's just littered with all that normal workout stuff transfer you uh, you know to go to uh, your job, and so a phone rings on the and and, and it rings, and uh, this gentleman goes over and he picks up the phone off of the bench. He just walks over and he picks it up and he said hello, and it's one of those phones that everybody can hear what's going on around you. How many has one of those? or know who I'm talking about, and it's one of those phones. And he and says hi, honey, and he goes hi, and um, hi, honey, and she goes. I was just shopping today, and I noticed that that fur that I wanted that's been $3,000 has is, is now been marked down to $1,800. Is it, is it possible? Honey, please, I've been wanting that fur for so long. Oh, sure, honey. That, you've been wanting that for a long time. Go get it. It's yours. Just go get it. Have fun. Oh, honey, thank you. Oh, and I don't know if I should bring this up now or not, but, but um, there was this, um, there was this uh, you know, that, that BMW that I've been looking at for so long? It, it, it's been listed at $90,000, and now they have dropped it down to $65,000. I mean, it's got everything on it. And, and he goes, honey, he goes that's the car you've wanted forever. He goes, I would just go buy it. And all the men in the room just stopped, Frozen. She goes, one more thing, honey. She says, you know that dream home of mine that has the, the, it's like the castle estate that's been listed with a real estate um, agent, and and, and it's $3 million. Well, they've dropped the price for a quick sale. It is now $1.8 million, and I love that home. You know I love that home. And uh, he goes, oh, he goes, why don't you set up an appointment with the real estate agent and um, get the ball moving? Oh honey, I love you so much," she said. "Love you too," and all the guys are frozen, looking at him. He goes, "Does anybody know whose phone that is?" I'll let it sink in for just a minute. This morning, I I um, I started my. I started in a, in a direction I felt the Lord was leading or this week as for, for this morning. And I was in Ephesians chapter 1. I want to go ahead and move on over to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at a couple of verses that just stuck out in my, in my heart. And I thought I was going a different direction and, and I had some notes and, and the Lord just prompted my heart in a completely different way. When that happens... I know that I know that I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking in such a, a direct way to someone. And this morning I, I don't come here with a word necessarily, you know, like people look around and say, well, our, our attendance is so low. And oh me, oh my. See, God doesn't bat, God doesn't gauge by those kind of things. He gauges by the matter of our hearts, our intent of our hearts. And when I was heading in a direction from Ephesians and God just challenged my heart in a different direction, I knew this word was for somebody specific today. And we will respond to this um, this morning. It's a beautiful, I think it's a beautiful verse, a beautiful uh, message the Lord has for us. But if you'll turn in Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through 21, and this was the process in which I started. Verse 15 says this, for this reason ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Now stop right there. For this reason ever since I heard, I heard. This is before Facebook and Twitter and newspapers and the 6 o'clock news, okay? For this reason ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all, everybody say, all God's people. I have not Stop giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul's saying, I'm praying for you because of the love you have for God, the love that you have for people. And he says, I keep asking that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I want to look at verse 17 real quick. It says that I want to give you the spirit of, of wisdom or revelation. This word spirit here is the same, if you want to look at a Hebrew word, ruach, it's the same spirit that is in Genesis 1, verse 2. And the spirit was hovering or brooding over the earth. It's that same spirit. And in Acts, we see the word pneuma as used as spirit, that, that the Holy Spirit descended upon them. And, and we know this story of Pentecost. Spirit means breath or life, uh, um, a wind. And in this case, I really believe it's that breath of God, those words of, of God. And look at what it, so he says, may the, may the Father give you the spirits, okay, of wisdom. Wow. That takes wisdom to a whole new level, doesn't it? He says, May the, may the God the Father give you the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation and this this idea of wisdom is a is a greek word um if you know of anybody in the name of sophia you can say i know what your name means it's wisdom and that's where we get this word sophia it means knowledge of very diverse matters it's knowledge of diverse matters is what wisdom is There's been times in my life where I've had to to call on wisdom because of the diverse matters of my life that was going on at the time. And it wasn't about knowledge, book knowledge, but it was diverse matters. Knowledge of diverse matters is wisdom. Revelation is something that to be revealed. He says, may He give you the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation so that you may know Him better. How do we get to know God? That the spirit of wisdom and revelation is in our spirits. And this word know means full discernment, just to to know Him better. And it goes on to say, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, which just simply means to shine light upon or to, to make one see so I pray that the eyes of, of your heart will be enlightened. Paul's saying this to this church, he's saying that your heart, your eyes will be enlightened, that the light will shine upon you in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength. Now get this. Don't let don't don't phase off right now. Verse 20. This is the same mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and at every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. Us today. Paul is praying that Sykeston first assembly of God would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would get to know to know him better. And so this morning, when it comes to wisdom, I, I don't really consider myself the the greatest example of wisdom. I could spend hours upon hours upon hours of telling you how unwise I am and experience that I've had because of lack of wisdom. And before you get all holier than now looking at me, we could do the same with you too. Okay. Wisdom and revelation. But what is wisdom? Well, let's start, let's start with this. Well, knowledge is this. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, right? Wisdom is knowing not to put a tomato in a fruit salad. You with me? Paul, he started off, with, he stated with this, he says, that we will be given the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of of revelation. We could stop right there and just say, God, boy, there's just a lot of work I could do right now. You could do on me. The spirit of wisdom and the spirit of, of revelation. So, when it comes to understanding wisdom better, I'm not looking to my life and my past and my godly example of holiness. You know, I, man, I live in a land of people with unclean lips and I, 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 I live amongst a, a rough and tumble people in our culture. I strive for the spirit of wisdom. I strive for the spirit of revelation. But this morning, I want to go back to, and I'm not going to ask you to turn with me to this. This is just in in reference to, but in 1 Kings 3, verse 5, God says to Solomon this amazing, amazing, amazing thing. It blows me away. He says, King Solomon, I would like to give you something, anything you want, sir, anything you want. I will give you anything. What do you want? Solomon has this interest, interesting answer. He said, God, he goes, I, I don't know if I know how to, to give justice appropriate. I don't, I don't know if I know how to lead. I don't know if I'm qualified to be the king. God, I don't know if I qualify to follow after my, my daddy David. I don't think I have what it takes. I, I need wisdom. And God says, Very good. He says, not only will I give you wisdom, I'll give you wisdom, but I also am going to go ahead and give you riches and honor, too. I want to just give you a little bit of background history on Solomon and and some of the writings in the Old Testament. Solomon's writings include Song of Solomon, uh, or Song of Songs, however your Bible has it there. Um, And this is Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. This is the young lover... He's a young buck, young leader. Proverbs is his midlife wisdom. Ecclesiastes is his old age wisdom. He's lived his life. And he says that all things are under the sun. And all things under the sun seem meaningless and we know for our own life they lead to despair without a relationship with Jesus Christ and Solomon is wrestling with these things in Ecclesiastes. In the book of Ecclesiastes is where I'll be this morning. Ephesians 1 is one passage that we've we've dealt with and I'll be referring to. But Ecclesiastes chapter 9, in a moment you can turn there. But I want to give you some background history of understanding Ecclesiastes. Because Ecclesiastes, we only know a couple of verses. We know the vanity vanity, uh, verse and we know that uh, for there's a season under heaven. We know that, but we don't know much more about it. But this is Solomon when he's old and he's... He's a little frustrated, and he's trying to figure out some of the things about life. And in this particular uh, book, twelve chapters, he he uses this word vanity thirty three times. And this doesn't mean something that you look into the mirror and you're a vain person like we translate it. But in this particular passage uh, in the in the book of, of of Ecclesiastes, it says it's your image. It's not your image. It's it's emptiness. It's it's feeling worthless. It's insignificance in this life. It's insignificant. He said, vanity. Insignificance. Emptiness. And then he writes another um, phrase or word, you know, in the in the English language of translation, sometimes they're different. So you have vanity, and then under the sun, he uses 32 times. And in this particular passage, what he's, uh, this, this thing that he says 32 times, he's saying that life is predictable. I think one of the one, one verse that is um, taken out of context is uh, with this. You know, every, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, we have turned that thing into all kinds of things that we want it to say. But what Solomon is saying here is life is predictable. Matter of fact, he even gives in his own example of this. He says, "So the rivers begin at the begin. They begin to run, and they end up dumping into our the sea." But the sea never fills up and somehow that water ends up back at the beginning of the river again and it continues and it never there's nothing new under the sun. He's saying that life is a vicious cycle, nothing new. He's like saying that the sun will rise tomorrow and the sun will set tomorrow. The sun rose today, the sun will set today. Life is predictable. Just like Death and taxes, right? That's what he's saying. The other phrase that he uses in the book of Ecclesiastes is wise or wisdom, 53 times. And he talks about the importance of heavenly wisdom in the midst of earthly vanity. In, In Ecclesiastes 9 is where I want you to turn to because it's very important to see a little parable that he wrote here. Solomon was considered the wisest man on earth, and I think this morning it's perfectly fine to consult with King Solomon on the idea of wisdom. I'm not going to get into the fact that he had so many wives and concubines, that's another story for another day, but God granted him his wish. He said, I want wisdom above anything else, and God said, I'll give it to you. And so he understood wisdom. He was a wise leader. The, the, this, his, this kingdom of Israel, it grew under his leadership. It expanded. The borders expanded. He was typically known at that time as the king of the universe. He, he, was, he was bigger than life. King Solomon. And look at verse chapter 9, verse 13. He said, I also saw under the sun. Now, I, this is very important. Verse 13, these next words. This example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. The greatest man on earth at this moment, the king of Israel, the one that God granted him wisdom, God granted him honor, God granted him riches. The greatest man living on planet earth at this moment said this. This example of wisdom that greatly impressed me, that has to be impressive. He was impressed by someone. And here's the parable. There was once a small city with only a few people in it. A powerful king, a king came against it, surrounded it, and built a huge siege, siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom, but nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, if the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Solomon, the way it seems in just other writings, he didn't know who this man was. Solomon did not give this man's name or address but only a description that he was a poor but wise man that in his wisdom he saved an entire city I have to ask a question this morning about all of us are we willing to not get the credit one of my favorite things in the world is is people who say they're humble and they don't want the credit but they want to be the ones who say, oh, it's all him. But you want to be the deflector of the credit, right? Ever met anyone like that? It's like, it's like hey, man, God. it's like, oh, I, did, I know I did some great things, but I'm going to deflect that credit up to him. What if God bypasses the whole middleman here, and he just automatically gets the credit? Many times, we don't want the credit, so we say, but we want to be the deflector of the credit because there's still some level of to be gained from that. And what if we bypass it altogether? And this story, it's kind of an interesting story, maybe even a rather sad story. Some poor but wise man saved the city and nobody knows his name. There was once a small city with only a few people in it and a powerful king came against it and surrounded it and built a huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city, a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered the poor man. What if you realized today that you could save this city? But nobody would remember your name. Are you still in? Are you all in? As a church, do we want to make our name a name for ourselves? Do we want to get Saxon First Assembly back on the map? Or do we want to make his name huge? Are we worried about names and prestige? In Ephesians 1.17, it says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Many of us have developed something in our life. Um, I, I think that if, if our, the word trust, if you could picture it in a giant tank, so that would mean that you would have a trust tank. Okay, go with me on this. And many of us in this room have developed a trust leak in our trust tank. We have become very inward in our thinking. And we do this sometimes because we've been hurt or we've been abused or or we haven't been treated with respect in the way in which we think we should. And our trust tank has started leaking our level of trust in God and in others seems to be slowly leaking out. I can't trust you. I can't trust that church. I can't trust a pastor. I can't trust a deacon. I can't trust a a police officer. I can't trust anymore. My trust is, there's a trust tank that that trust is leaking out. And that causes us to uh, begin to trust in our own wisdom in our own revelation, in our own philosophy, in our own desire, in our own doctrine. And let me tell you that this morning, that is dangerous. That is so dangerous. More than likely, we do this to protect ourselves and the ones we love from the proverbial them, they. And we don't trust anymore. However, God is wanting to teach us to trust in Him. An evil king has come into your city and has laid siege and built walls around you and your family and now you don't know what to do. This evil king has come and he's wrecked our homes. He's wrecked our churches. He's wrecked our dreams. He's wrecked our desires to move forward with courage. And this evil king won't relent. And we feel stuck and we feel afraid. But in these moments, these God moments, I believe that someone will stand up to the evil king. This story this morning that Solomon tells is is a story that should give you hope. It's a story that should give me hope, us hope. It should give our city hope that even in the most difficult times, God takes a lowly pauper, a lowly man, and he frees the city from its bondage because of this one poor but wise man. This story doesn't even say that he was wealthy or he was honorable, but it says he was poor, but it says he was wise. And those two credentials right there, he saved the city. And Solomon, King Solomon, the wisest man on earth, was impressed by this. More than likely, in this room today, I'm not the only one that feels um, or struggles necessarily with, with, with the idea of insignificance. I'm probably not the only one here. Anybody else struggle with insignificance? Yeah. And so many times we, we struggle with this insignificance in our life and, and we think that we can't do anything for God. And the great philosopher John Cougar Mellencamp, I'll wait just a second there, said, I was born in a small town, right? I learned about Jesus in a small town. That was my life. I was born in a small town. I, I was small, believe it or not, in stature but not so much just in stature, but I was also small in in significance growing up. I don't remember as a child ever feeling significant in elementary school. I don't ever remember feeling significant in middle school. I don't really ever feel significant in high school. It was hard. I went on to Bible college, and I thought this was going to be like a place where... Jesus dwelled all the time, and the angels would sing. I found out that there was rich, bratty kids that went to Bible college that wanted to make my life miserable too, and I felt insignificant in Bible college. Growing up, I had learning disabilities, elementary school, middle school. Through my freshman year, I I was in learning disabilities for English and in math. I can remember when I knew the bell was about ready to ring and I would stand by the door when the bell was about ready to ring so I could jump out in the hallway and move with the flow that nobody would know I was in that room. I was one that struggled with a little bit of an acne problem. And I'm telling you, acne problems, learning disabilities, not being a great athlete, the honor roll, I don't even know what that was, I didn't know it existed. The Ozark headliner would have the little things and the honor roll was here and uh, I never saw my name there. But I was consistent with C's and D's. I will say that. (laughs) Those characteristics were not um, characteristics that was going to lead me to some sort of being a prom king by any means. I was insignificant in the eyes of my school. I was insignificant in the eyes of the world. I was insignificant in those around me. And that insignificance in my late, years took me to a place where I attempted suicide because of my insignificance. But the one thing that I've noticed over the years is people who are farther from God they might have a a type of godliness but people who are far from God seem to be way more arrogant. Matter of fact in my own life I struggle with that as well. I can tell when I'm, I'm, I'm not going in the right direction. And I become somewhat arrogant because I've noticed that people who are close to Jesus live humble and obedient lives. But I've come to the understanding that over the years that being poor but wise is not necessarily a bad thing. You see, God is calling us to make Jesus famous in our little worlds that we call life. He's calling us into those little worlds. And let me tell you this morning, I'm going to tell you this from experience. I know this for a fact. If you think you are right for the task, then you have never seen the task. If you think you're right for the task, you've never seen the task that God wants to do. If you don't need God for your vision, I will tell you this morning, it's not God's vision. When it's God's vision and God begins to breathe the spirit of wisdom and spirit of revelation into your life, and he breathes that into you, into your situation, you will lose your breath. Your knees will start knocking. You'll become weak-kneed, and you'll become shortness of breath when God speaks vision into your life. And and then you can always and will always say, and Moses was great at too, I can't do this. Most of the vision that I have that God has laid in my heart, I don't usually share because it's so big that everybody else usually around will go, that ain't going to happen. But I'm going, man, God breathed something in my life. I know it. And when he breathes something in your life, it's bigger than your budget. It's bigger than your building. It's bigger than your city. And he breathes something into you, and you just know that your spirit, the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation has been part of your life. And, and now you can, you can see him clearly as you know him better. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built a huge siege works against it. And there lived that city, a man poor but wise, and he saved the city from his, with his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. Scripture says it was a small city of no significance. It was a small man of of no significance. This city, this is a city that used to be filled with the laughter of children playing in the streets. And, and if you can picture an old, an old you know, city and the kids are playing and kicking rocks and having fun and going up and down and dogs are running and parents are doing what parents do best to make life happen for their families, that's what this city looked like. And now, the city is filled with blood and the streets, and I'm reading into this a little bit, but understanding a little bit about what happens when kings take over cities. The city was taken over, and there's blood in the streets, and now the streets are filled with widows and orphans. And the city has fell on difficult times. Now, I have to give a disclaimer for my quote that I'm getting ready to quote, because it's from Shakespeare. I don't read Shakespeare. I don't know that I really ever have on purpose read Shakespeare, unless a teacher made me read it. When I read Shakespeare, I take a nap. (laughs) However, I heard another guy use this quote that I'm going to use today on Shakespeare. It's a great quote. Matter of fact, this quote makes me want to read Shakespeare, and then when I feel like reading Shakespeare, I'm like, no, I'll just wait for somebody else to quote Shakespeare. But this quote, and Derek's going to put it up on the, on the screens. It says, some men are born great, others obtain great, others obtain greatness, and some men have greatness thrust upon them. Personally, I was not born great. I was born in a poor family, in a small town, and my name didn't matter. My skill set wasn't there, and I didn't matter. I was insignificant. In our story, greatness was thrust upon this poor but wise man, as we see with Shakespeare's quote. In our struggle with significance, we tell God all the time that we are not great. God, I can't teach. God, I can't sing. I can't dance. I can't preach. God, I can't cook. I can't, I can't play guitar. I can't play keyboard. Babies hate me, God. I can't even work in the nursery. And we... Tell God all the time, we are not good people. We are bad. And we get so concerned with what we are not, and we focus on what we are not all of the time. But God is saying, he's saying, but it's not about what you are not. It's about the person that you are becoming in him. He says, I'm creating in you. I'm creating in you. I am the same God that said, let there be light. And there was light. I'm that guy. You're no challenge to me. You might feel insignificance, but if you will allow me to work in you, I will do great things through and in you. And you'll become more like him. We've become accustomed to letting evil kings win in our life because we feel so insignificant. We feel so underrated. We feel like that we were born for the C team, some of us. Let me ask a question this morning. Where is your courage? Where is your faith? Where is is your leadership? And when we feel this way, where is the Holy Spirit in all of this? You see, He wants to give you the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation that you may know Him better. He desires for you to stand up with courage. He desires you to stand up even if you're poor. He desires for you to stand up if you have the wrong last name and he desi- even if you lack a spiritual heritage and and I just got back from district council and I hear all the time I am a fourth generation assemblies of God minister and I'm like I'm not I'm barely here guys He desires you to stand up with courage even if you feel insignificant. God is looking for poor but wise people who will stand up to evil kings of our cities today. And proclaim freedom to the captives in the year of the Lord's favor. Maybe we just need to this morning just have a moment and admit that we're all fragile to some degree. We all have some element of, of being fragile in our life. And, and when we come to know ourselves and really know ourselves, we realize that we are not ready for the task. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built a huge, uh, huge siege works against it. And now there lived in that city... A man poor but wise, and he saved the city from his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. Godly leadership is helping other people find their significance where they are. So many times in our churches, somebody will come to a church, a new person will come to the church, and we expect them to be where we are spiritually. And let me tell you, that doesn't work. Accepting people where they are and helping them find their significance where they are is how we see churches grow. Not coming down with your little gavel of until you are more like me, you will never make it in this church. And That's what a lot of our churches say across this country. That's why churches are closing, because we don't look for significance in other people anymore. We challenge them with our own significance or our own heir of whatever we have. But God is calling poor but wise men this morning because this poor but wise man that Solomon was so impressed with, he had no name, he had no position, he had no title, he didn't have resources. He really didn't have any influence. This man was faced with many obstacles yet he set the entire city free. I'm about done this morning. We're going to pray in just a moment, but And I don't want to seem somewhat bipolar on my comments today, like talking about how everybody feels their insignificance and then I'm getting ready to question that just seems like it's in the polar opposite of that world. And I'm not trying to confuse you, but I want you to stay with me. Just listen to me. Because sometimes our insignificance is, is, is what we pride ourselves in, sometimes in our excuse of why we don't do things. And we allow that to work against God's greater vision for what he called us to do. And sometimes in our lives, we, we have to ask the question, do I want to be great in God's kingdom or do I want to be famous in my own kingdom? Famous is a word that just simply means it's, it's what others acknowledge about me. I can be famous in Sykeston with the idea of fame being that others know about me. I can do things where people will know me. There's position, there's there's prestigious positions of of the mayor or the chief of police or the the principals or the superintendents. They're people of prestige, they're famous because we we know who they are and we know about them and we acknowledge them, we understand who they are. And when you're in that position, you have to ask yourself, do I want to be famous or do I want to be great? If you're not in that position... Well, I don't want to be famous. Well, do you want to be great? Because what great stands for is what it means is that it's what you've done for others. I wouldn't mind being both, actually. People know who I am, but they know who I am. And based on what I do, I do things for others. And, and that people know your character and your heartbeat of what you're all about and you know that you you're this put on this earth to do things for others. But this morning, do you want to be great or do you want to be famous? There's this once-a-small city with only a few people in it and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built a huge siege work against it and there lived in that city a man poor but wise and he saved the city by his wisdom and nobody remembered That poor man. Let me help you understanding significance this morning. This is how you can become significant. I've told you my story. I'm sure you have your story. But to be significant, your significance is when you help others find their freedom through knowing Jesus. That's significance. It's when you help others wherever they're at, find their significance and lead them to Jesus, even if it takes a long time. I love the stories about missionaries who move to a a foreign land, and the first thing that they do as a missionary is they learn the language, and they learn the culture. Before they preach their first sermon, before they do any of that, they learn people. And they said that it will take sometimes nearly the, fir- the first three years to get into the, to the language and the culture, and then the next four years before they even see really a convert in some of these villages because there's a time that, you're, that the, all they're doing is looking for significance in others and learning that, learning that uh, these people have to trust them. This morning, I, I, I'm going to pray with the congregation as a whole, and then I'm going to pray for anybody who feels insignificant. And, and Jane, if you don't mind just softly playing, um, that would be fantastic. In a moment, I... I um, let me find it first here. I, I, I don't know that I can pray a prayer... That is as powerful as what, what um, David prayed in Psalm 27. I'm going to pray for us corporately in just a moment, but then I'm going to ask anybody in just a moment who feels insignificant to come down. And I'm going to pray Psalm 27 over your life this morning. I believe it's prophetic. I don't believe that God changed the direction of, of where I was going because he thought, "Ah, oh, he's got a busy week this week. Let's, throw, let's just throw something else at him. I don't think it's what that is at all. God knew someone was going to be here that needed to understand significance. And that there was a poor but small king or man who went against the king and he freed a city because of his great wisdom. You too can be that poor but wise person. Bow your heads with me if you will.